The reading is Galatians 4, 1 through 7. I mean that the heifer, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Good morning. Good morning. Well, it's a privilege uh, to be here this morning. It's a privilege to to preach God's word and to open God's word with you. So, if you'll join with me in prayer, let's pray together. Lord, we uh, continue to come to you this morning. We've come and we in, in word and song, and we have heard your word in various means and various ways. And this morning we pray that you would speak through your servant, that your people would be encouraged, that your word would go forth, and you would do what you do as God. You would stir our hearts. You move us to love you more and more as we should. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I enjoy to do uh, quite a bit my main hobby is working on cars. It's sort of a, this masochistic hobby of sorts. Uh, causes bloody knuckles and tons of frustration, but often can be quite fulfilling when you see something that doesn't work, start to work. And uh, maybe it's just part of being in you know, a life of ministry. Um, that doesn't always happen in ministry, right? We work with people, and uh, we know that we will not be glorified until the Lord returns or he takes us. And so it's nice sometimes when you just turn a few wrenches and something that didn't work before starts to, starts to work. Well, uh, one day I had my, my garage door open, which was sort of common in my cul-de-sac, and my neighbor across the street walks over, and he had a, a, a screwdriver in his hand, and he said, he said, hey, um, do you, do you have any, uh, like, quality screws? Every screw I keep using just keeps, the head just keeps stripping right off. And I said, well, what, what kind of, you know, screwdriver do you have and what kind of screws are you using? He said, well, it's a Phillips screw and Phillips screws, or it's Phillips screwdriver. And I said, well, no, it's a Phillips one, Phillips two, Phillips three. He said, well, I didn't realize there were different numbers. You know, I said, well, yeah, there's different ones. And so, come to find out, he's using a Phillips one screwdriver Phillips two screws, and as a result, it strips the heads right off. So we, we got a Phillips two and matched it with this Phillips two screwdrivers, and bada bing, bada boom, everything started to do what it was supposed to do. And it's amazing how things have purposes and designs. The things are created to work in a particular way. And when we don't use the things as they're intended, Things like stripped heads happen. Uh, 
And it's one thing to get maybe a, a screwdriver and a screw wrong. It's ultimately maybe just a little annoying, but not that devastating. But what happens if we, if we misunderstand God's purpose and design and salvation? What happens if we misunderstand, misconstrue, or are not aware of God's purpose and design for us? Well, uh, ultimately, we have a much bigger problem. Uh, but if we do understand and know God's purpose and design, there's a much greater joy than just getting maybe the screw and screwdriver right, right? So this morning, uh, I pray that we will see from Paul's letter to Galatians chapter 4, three clear purposes. We'll see first, uh, the Old Testament law's purpose was to guard and protect. We'll see that uh, God's purpose in his son in coming was to redeem and to adopt. And third, I hope and pray that we will see that God's spirit, uh, God the Spirit's purpose is to confirm and to remind. Let's take a look at that, that first purpose, looking at the Old Testament law's purpose. As Paul tells us, it's to guard and to protect. Galatians 4, 1 through 3 reads, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. There's often been a lot of uh, confusion regarding the purpose of the law in the Old Testament. I remember as a young Christian really struggling through this, struggling with understanding what what, what is the purpose of the Old Testament law? Um, I was reminded of this recently. I was having a conversation with someone uh, who was a Christian of many years. And, and he, he said, I, you know, I know, I know the Old Testament law was, was meant to save Christians, but I just, I don't understand how that worked. No one could keep it perfectly. How could it save them? And it reminded me that I used to have that same question, that I used to think some way the Old Testament law must, must be purposed to bring about salvation, but how does that work? Well, we're, we're going to see that uh, maybe if you have that question today, or if you've had that thought today, uh, we're going to see that there is a relationship between the Old Testament law uh, and, and God's people, but it's, it's not for the purpose of bringing about salvation. Well, what is its purpose and design? Paul, Paul wants us to see in our text that the law was, wasn't meant to save. It was never purpose and designed to do that. It wasn't purpose and designed to make you right with God, but rather uh, salvation has always been by faith. It was, it was by faith for the people uh, of old before our Lord came, and it was by faith after Jesus our Redeemer has come as well. And so what was its purpose? Well, Paul uses this illustration of, a, of an heir to a wealthy estate. Uh, likely has in mind Greek civil law here, where it was customary for a wealthy man to hand over his heir to the care of guardians and not to immediately to his children. The oldest son knew that he was going to inherit his father's estate at some point, but his father didn't just give away his estate immediately. He waited until the child was ready. 
Until that day, the heir to the inheritance had, had people manage both the inheritance, but also him, the, 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 the firstborn son. He had no legal or property rights. He was kept under discipline by the guardians. They told him when to wake up. They told him what to wear. They told him what to eat. Uh, they told him when to go to school. They told him how to behave. The heir had a wealth that was his by promise, but not by actual experience. And even though he was a son of wealth and he was guaranteed this inheritance, he really was no different than a slave in a lot of respects because he didn't have access to his inheritance. The father knew the perfect time. The father knew when his child would be ready. The father had set that up. And the father had prepared it for him. You know, back, back in uh, 1999, the Duke and Duchess of Northumberland went to court to block their son from inheriting his fortune when he would turn 18. Their son, the young Earl Percy, was only 14 years old at the time and was seeking to get his inheritance. <laughs> and his parents had his ultimate best interest in mind. And one day the Earl would, would inherit this vast fortune. He would, in, uh, uh, would inherit the Almwick Castle. He would inherit a million pound inheritance and then a half million a year for the rest of his life. But his parents knew that he wasn't ready at 14 to get that kind of money. I thought I was at 14. Like I was ready for that. If that was ever in my future. Uh, so they end up legally blocking him and, uh, and waiting until his 25th birthday, because I thought even 18 would be too soon. And in a lot of ways, this is what God has done with the law. He has prepared an inheritance for his children. He has prepared to redeem them, to give them all blessings of being the child of God. But there was a date set when they would receive it. And it wasn't until then until they were no longer under the law, until one had fulfilled the law perfectly, that they would be able to receive the inheritance in the way that they should. And you know, the law, sometimes we can look at as, uh, as, as totally negative, but the, but the law was not negative in one sense. The law was a guardian. It was doing its job. And it taught us of God's holiness. It taught us that the God we worship is a God who is perfect in every way. And the law helps people to see their own sinfulness and the need for that God and for a savior. So the law helped protect them, people of the Old Testament, and it does the same in many ways to us. But the reality is just like the young Earl Percy, obedience to the guardians is not ultimately what made the people of God worthy of their inheritance. See, young Earl Percy wasn't about just keeping, uh, pleasing his guardians in the same way it is for us. It's not obedience to the law that brings about our inheritance, but rather it is ultimately faith. Because the people of God for years, as we probably know quite well, fail to keep God's law in every way. So the law couldn't redeem sinners it wasn't designed to. It couldn't bring them into right relationship with God. And today the law still plays a wonderful role in our, in our lives and helping us to see God's perfection and holiness. But if the law wasn't meant 
to save. And if the law couldn't do that, what ultimately could? And uh, Paul tells us this morning that, that that was the purpose of the Son of God and him alone. He alone was the right one for that job, which is our second point, that the purpose of the Son was to redeem and to secure our adoption as children of God. Verses four and five read, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might uh, receive adoption as sons. So what the law was never able to do and was never meant to do, God did through his son. And the text tells us when the fullness of time had come. You know, God's providence, his timing is always perfect. And that is true of so much in life, but so much more true, uh, so much true in a fuller sense maybe, of the great reality of when it was time to send Jesus into the world. Paul gives us three, three really good reasons why Jesus was the only one who could accomplish the redemption of God's people. He gives us three reasons why Jesus was uniquely equipped and purposed to accomplish making us right with God. Um, in some ways, it's a bit of an apologetic text um, in that it, it, it brings to light why it was Jesus alone, and it had to be Jesus alone, who could save God's people and make them right. So three reasons I want us to see why it has to be Jesus. First, our text says God sent forth his son. God the Father sent the son. Jesus did not begin to exist when he was born. But he existed before his time on earth. He was sent forth, right? Jesus is the eternal son of God. He is the one who always was and always is, and who's the one who has eternally existed in sonship relationship to God the Father. When the fullness of time had come, the Son was sent by the Father from heaven into the world to redeem God's children. And it, it's a great text of reminding us of the divine nature of Jesus, that Jesus was fully God, always existing, that he was begotten but not created, that he was born but eternally existed, that he was sent by the Father, never made. Uh, second reason why it had to be Jesus and him alone. Text says, God sent forth his son born of a woman. You know, while the fact that God sent the son declares his divinity, this little text born of a woman reminds us that Jesus was truly human. Uh, that Jesus entered the world like you and I did, born of a woman. This is the, you know, the doctrine of the incarnation, the infleshing of God, that God became man, that he took on flesh, that he experienced temptations that you and I experience, yet without sin. That the God-man, fully God, sent by the Father, fully man, born of a woman, experience what humans experience. Fully God, fully man, fully divine, fully human. 
And, and third and finally, why it had to be Jesus, this, this God-man to save us. The text says he was sent forth, he was born of a woman, and he was born under the law. The law that served to manage the people of God, we talked about earlier, uh, until Jesus is coming, is the very law that Jesus perfectly upheld. That where everyone else failed all the way back to Adam and Eve, in perfect obedience to God, Jesus upheld perfectly. Anyone who failed to keep it perfectly would experience the curse of the law the scriptures tell us. In other words, they would experience the ramifications for their failure. And that was the, the righteous wrath and judgment of God. But God has given his holy law. Uh, and, and Jesus kept it perfectly. But Jesus also bore the curse that you and I deserve even though he himself never failed to keep the law. So he keeps it perfectly. He steps in and he takes the judgment that you and I deserve. And he bears a curse for us. Galatians 3 verse 13 reads, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we have the the, the God-man, the perfect law keeper, the curse bearer, Jesus. And that's why it was him and him alone who could do what the law was never meant to do and could do what you and I can never do, and that is to make us right with God. And so Jesus, in being the God-man, perfect law keeper, curse bearer, the rest of the text says, was able to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That word for uh, redeem is an interesting word. It's it's a word for securing something that's been delivered. Uh, It's it's a word for purchasing sometimes is the language we'll use. Jesus purchased us. He secured our deliverance from the wrath of God that you and I deserve. And the law couldn't do this. It wasn't designed to, as we've said. Jesus was the one for the job. It was his purpose in coming to earth to redeem you and I. So the purpose of Jesus is to redeem, but it, it's, it's not just to redeem. It's never just with Jesus, right? You know, he always does so much more than we could ever fathom or imagine. He also came that we might receive adoption. He uh, gathers us, gives us freedom, rescues us from the curse and captivity of the law, and then he gives us a seat at the table. He adopts us as a father's own children. Uh, my, it will be a miracle if I get through this without crying. Um, my wife's late father uh, has an interesting origin story. Uh, he was born in post-war Korea in the 50s to unknown parents. He was found by the garbage man. <clears throat> Gets me every time, sorry. Uh, in a dumpster as a malnourished newborn. The man plucks him out, brought to an orphanage where several other babies were being nourished back to health. Eventually, he was adopted by Christians in the U.S. 
along with uh, another malnourished baby from Korea. He grew up in a loving family uh, who cared for him and who loved Jesus. Tim, my uh, father-in-law, dedicated his life to serving Jesus. He was an incredibly gifted musician and served as a worship leader for 30 years. Uh, but what's so amazing about Tim's story is not just that he was that he was redeemed and rescued out of a garbage dump, but it's that he was adopted, that he became a, a child of a family that didn't share his blood. He became adopted and, and brought into a family and, and called their own and loved unconditionally. And it's, it's similar to what God does to us in so many ways. He, he doesn't just rescue us from the dumpster. That would be enough, right? That would just be mercy and grace beyond imagination. But he rescues us from the dumpster and then he takes us home. He adopts us as his own. He rescues us from being slaves of sin and he gives us adoption papers and makes us his children. This was the reason why Jesus came. This was the purpose for the coming of the Son of God, to, to come not just to redeem, but to make us children of God. And so the law had its purpose in guarding and protecting. And, and Jesus has his purpose in coming in redeeming and adopting us. But the Spirit, the text tells us, also has a purpose in confirming and reminding us of whose we are. The uh, next verse says, uh, verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And we have, my wife and I have two little children, uh, almost four, Flora, and our youngest son, uh, Gibson, who has just turned one this past weekend. My wife asked me uh, if I knew where this, this old seat was that uh, supposedly we had used for my daughter when she was younger, and she was Gibson's age, um, to, to kind of help her sit up. And, and, uh, and she was explaining to me, you know that, that seat, it's like, it's like red, and it's got the little strap on it, and we used to carry her everywhere in it. And I, I really... Really don't. And she's like, no, you know this. And she, so she's explaining to me over and over again. And I'm like more and more convinced that the seat just never existed. Right? And like, nah, I don't think that's even a thing. Like, I don't remember that we've even owned that. And, um, and so, uh, unfortunately, we live in 2023, which means we live in the digital world, which means we have 10 billion pictures and photos of my kids as they've grown up. She goes, oh, I'll find the seat, don't worry. And so she gets her phone out and starts scrolling. It's like, you know, goes a couple years back. And goes, oh, oh, here it is. You know, shows me a picture. I'm like, uh, okay. And then she's like, oh, and here's a video of you carrying our daughter around in it all around the house. Oh, here's another one of you. It's like, okay, okay, I get it. All right, I forgot about the seat. I have a particularly bad memory. Uh, but we all need reminders, right? We all need spiritual reminders. We, and, and that's part of the role of the Spirit in the Christian's life, is to remind us of who we are and to remind us whose we are. 
Well, uh, when we are gods, when we place our faith in the Lord Jesus and are his own, he sends his spirit, the text tells us, into our hearts that we might be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And, and Abba is this is very interesting term. Uh, it's a, it's a, a, a strong term of endearment. It's, it's, um, it's as if saying like, dear dad or dearest father. Some have even said it's like saying daddy. The spirit dwells within us to join us to the father and to remind us that we are a child of God. And that's something we need, that we need to be reminded of every second of every day. We need like the digital Rolodex, right, that we're just always staring at and reminding the photos and the, the videos of, of God's love for us as a heavenly father. You know, as a, a dad of young kids, there's, there's really nothing that brings me greater joy than to comfort my daughter or son in their pain and sorrow. Whether it's a, a silly, you know, stubbed toe or um, something that seems insignificant to me, but it's some emotional upheaval in their life, to be, to be there to comfort and to care for them is the greatest calling, it feels like. And to think that the creator of the universe feels that way towards us and yet to the nth degree. That, that he takes great delight in your presence and to invite you into his. That he loves you beyond uh, words, beyond what we could ever fathom or imagine. So much so that the text says we can call him Abba. We can call him dearest father or daddy. That that is the intimacy that God desires, delights in, and really has fashioned and created for us to be with him. No longer is he, servant, or is he uh, a master and we are but servants or slaves. We can call him father. Martin Luther once said, servants can only say Lord, but sons and Daughters are able to say, Abba, Father. And while it is true he is indeed our Lord, he is also our Heavenly Father. Do you know what this is? I came with props. This, this was once a screwdriver. It was once a flathead screwdriver, kind of maybe see until it found its way into my toolbox and uh, got used as a pry bar one too many times on various projects. And it's turned into this. <laughs> Didn't take me long to like, dig through my toolbox to find a tool that was messed up. Uh, oh, I'll find a broken something. I'm like, right on top. It's like, oh. it's like all right, that was It doesn't work great as a flathead, I'll tell you that, anymore. Sometimes we lose sight of our design and our purpose we lose sight of our primary identity as being redeemed, spirit-filled, adopted children of the king. And sometimes we, we start to live out life uh, in this kind of a fashion, right? We, we stop living in our purpose and our design and um, maybe we, we pursue the sins that uh, so easily entangle us and we stop seeing God as the loving, benevolent Father that he is, and we 
see him as some sort of dictator of sorts, giving us commands that are unattainable. And why would I even follow him anymore? And our text reminds us that we have created purpose and design, that we've been redeemed, that we've been adopted, and that God is not some distant, far-off, mean dictator of sorts, but he is our benevolent father who loves us far more than we could ever fathom or imagine. That we are no longer slaves, but we are free in King Jesus. Our final verse says this, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So the purpose of the law is to guard and protect. The purpose of Jesus is to redeem and adopt. The purpose of the Spirit is to confirm and to remind. But what is our purpose in all of this? Well, our purpose, your purpose and my purpose, as redeemed children of God, if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, our purpose is to live as Spirit-filled redeemed, adopted, children of God that the text calls us heirs through God. That we, that we are like the earl we spoke of earlier, awaiting our inheritance in so many ways. It's an already but not yet reality, right? It's language we often use. That, that it's already true that we are Jesus's and all that is true that that comes with being in Christ righteous and, and loved and adopted and secured. And yet there's a sense in which it will be even more true, more fully recognized, and we are glorified with Jesus someday. Uh, that we are called to the great truth of living as heirs to God. And I pray this morning that you would know that privilege the privilege of intimate relationship with your Savior. And, and, and if, if you don't this morning, if, if maybe you're here and you're skeptical of Christianity or interested, and, um, that, that what you would know is this is not just my words, but this is God himself telling us who he is and telling us that you are invited, that you were made to be a child of God that God wants to, to, to take crooked screwdrivers and make them straight, right? That God wants to, to redeem us and restore us. And that he has done that through sending his only son to die on our behalf, to bear the curse that you and I could not bear. And to send his spirit to remind us that we are his. So we join with me in praying this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come, that you have uh, made yourself known, that you have not left your people in the dark, that you have not left us as slaves of sin, uh, as, as needing to be fearful of you in a terrible way, but you have picked us up out of the dumpster that you have pulled us out of the garbage heap, that you have redeemed us despite us and in spite of us. And you have loved us and you have adopted us and you have made us your own. And so, Lord, as uh, your children called by you, 
I pray, Lord, that we would go, uh, go forth and we would grow in love for you, uh, that we would be renewed every day by the reminder of who we are and whose we are. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.